0: Hello and welcome to The World's Last Night. This is James Thayer. Today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 25. I'm going to do something a little different today, and that is I'm going to actually be reading next to my computer, because uh, in the past I have cited a lot of things, and most of these things just pop into my head as I'm reading, because I've, I guess I've read enough that it cross-references with uh, other people portions of scripture, or other bits of philosophy that I've learned in my life, and yet um, that's not too helpful to, to you if you can't look stuff up. So what I'm going to do is when, if something does pop into my head I want to reference, I'm going to try to quickly Google it so I can actually give you the verse, the number, um, or any other you know thing that I can't exactly put my hand on. So we're going to try that out and see how it goes. Uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about Abraham's death, and then we're going to quickly move on to his grandchildren. So, verse twenty, or, excuse me, chapter twenty-five, verse one. Now, Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah, and she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. <laughs> That's a good name. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. Dedan's sons were the Ashurim, Latushim, and okay. These people are, are This going to tell us a little bit about who they father also. So Abraham has taken a, um, another wife after Sarah has died, and she's bearing him lots of children. That kind of lets us know that the uh, infertility issue was on Sarah's part, not Abraham's part. And the only one in here that really stands out to me is Midian, because he becomes the forefather of the Midianites. But remember, Abraham's going to be blessed, father of many nations. These are all going to end up being different nations or some of them will, at least. All right. But then it goes on to say in verse 5, Abraham, Abraham gave everything he owned to Isaac. So once again, the child of promise is getting all the inheritance. Nothing goes to Ishmael. And Abraham gave gifts to the sons of his concubines. But while he was still alive, he sent them eastward, away from his son Isaac to land of east of the east. Two things in there. One, concubines... Um, it 's not a word you hear very often and uh but the the um, the what 's the word i 'm looking for it 's they still exist and actually are like ever increasingly becoming more prevalent in modern society, but we just don 't use that word for it anymore, and so i 'm going to try to explain it like this and try to be as little as offensive as I possibly can. But basically, a concubine was a woman that a man would take in who they were incapable of getting married for one reason or another, or they decided not to get married for one reason or, the, or another. This could be political. Um, it could be that he's already he already has a wife. Um, they have different rankings in society. But for one reason or another, he would not take her as a wife. Now, the the wife is an honorary title, and she is given special privileges and rights. And a concubine doesn't have certain privileges and rights, but still uh, usually will engage in sexual relations unless it's something else. Now, obviously for Christians, this is completely out of the, out of the picture. This isn't something, this is once again prescribing, not, not or this is describing, not prescribing this practice. So uh, we know in the New Testament, oh, here, I get to Google something. We know the New Testament, Paul basically says that, um, you know, elders of the church, which are supposed to be examples for the Christian body, are only supposed to be husband, uh, let's see, um, husband of but one wife. Let's see if I can find what scripture I am. 1 Tim- Timothy 3 2. 1 Timothy th- 3 2. And. Alright, so here he's describing what an elder in the church should be. So a church leader must this is 1 Timothy 3 2. A church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. Well, where does it say? Oh, here we go. This other ver this other version. There's different versions. That was New Living. Um English ESV, which is the more literal translation, will say, therefore an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife, sober minded, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. So concubines are completely out of the picture for uh, Christians and same with polygamy. I mean that is a version of polygamy, so we've kind of been through this already. But I will say this: um, in modern society, a lot of people are cohabitating, which means they don't get married and they still live with each other. And obviously, in this in this case, most of the times there's still you know sexual relations and what the Bible would consider fornication. But in this regard, some of those women you could actually use this term to describe as being concubines because they are uh, they um, do not have the title, the honorary title of wife. So, um, it matters a lot in, in this old society. It obviously doesn't matter in our new society. And it's kind of sad. I think if you're dating a guy and you're in that kind of relationship, you should seek to get married. Um, and I, even remember i had an old boss when i had an internship she had been dating a guy for six years and had broken up with him because he would not marry her so i mean what was he thinking he's just gonna like continue to take all the benefits of (laughs) living with a woman but not give all the rights and privileges to her through marriage which is like obviously like half the assets it's It's a lot of stuff. It's just introducing, even getting a wedding band and a ring and a covenant and a promise. Um, And so she was like completely heartbroken over this because she finally realized, well, this guy's never going to marry me even after six years. And so that breakup was terrible. So I would highly advise people, men and women, not to form that kind of relationship and to hold off on sex until marriage. So we can talk a lot more about that in the New Testament Let's keep reading. Actually, there were two things I wanted to talk about in that. So, Abraham gave gifts to his sons of his concubines. While he was still alive, he sent them eastward away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. So, he's sending away all these other children he has away from Isaac. So, out of the promised land that Isaac's in. Verse 7, this is the length of Abraham's life, 175 years. He took his last breath and died at a ripe old age, old and contented, and he was gathered to his people. His sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Mechpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite. This was the field that Abraham sought from the Hittites. Abraham was buried there with his wife, Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son, Isaac, who lived near Bir Laha Roy. Verse 12. These are the family records of Abraham's son, Ishmael, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's slave, bore to Abraham. So he has a bunch of children It's like 10 or 12 children. It's a bunch of kids. I'm not going to read them all. You can read them all on your own time if you want. These are Ishmael's sons, and these are the names by the villages and encampments, 12 leaders of their clans. All right, so 12 nations. Actually, that was prophesied. (laughs) Um, So, okay, this is the length of Ishmael's life, 137 years. He took his last breath and died and was gathered to his people, and they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt as you go towards Ashur he lived in opposition to all his brothers, which was sort of prophesied about him. He'd be a wild man living in enmity. Remember, he's the father of um, the Arab peoples. So he's living in opposition to Isaac and the rest of the brothers. So verse 19, we're going to introduce two new characters, and there's a lot of contention about these. And God's attitude towards him. So these are the family records of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took as his wife, Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. So we had a whole chapter on that. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord heard his prayer and his wife Rebekah conceived. So she was barren. Isaac uh, apparently petitioned and prayed and Rebecca is finally conceiving, and I believe it's 20 years later, so that's a long time to be praying and believing that you're going to have children, and uh, that takes a lot of faith, so good on them. Verse 22, but the children inside her struggled with each other, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire the Lord. So she knows that she's having twins, or maybe not, she's about to learn at least, but she feels you know, lots of struggle in her womb. And so the Lord says to her, two nations are in your womb. So now she knows she has twins. Two people will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. So God is prophesying about what these children are going to be. And I think the big thing in there is the fact that the older is going to serve the younger child. So verse 24. When her time came to give birth, there were indeed twins in her womb. The first one came out reddish, covered with hair like a fur coat, and they named him Esau. Esau literally means by the way, um I think it means like rough and hairy. So he comes out reddish also and you're going to see in a little bit uh Edom is another like name for him and that just means red. So, verse 26, After this, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand. So, he was named Jacob. And Jacob, I believe, just means, like, one who grabs the heel. But actually, uh, yeah, it means grasps grasps the heel. Um, Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. So, that's, yeah, it took 20 years. Now, let's talk a little bit about the name Jacob, because my name, James, actually comes from the name Jacob. And I like that, because every time... Um, people interpret the name Jacob, it usually, okay, there's two things. One, honestly, it's not a compliment to be named Jacob at this time. It's sort of like saying like a scoundrel, someone who grasps the heel, who's tricks, like a trickster, like Loki, you know, that kind of like character from the Marvel universe. Um, But I will also say one of my favorite translations of the meaning of James or Jacob is one who surpasses and then destroys. And another word for that is a supplanter. So it's one who basically becomes greater and then removes what was, what was there that, that they became greater than. And so that's a little bit of prophecy about he's the younger brother and he's going to supplant Esau, as we're going to see here in a second. So verse 27, when the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman, but Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. That could mean he's introverted. Uh, another translation for that is he's a mild man. Not It doesn't mean that he is lazy or doesn't do anything, but he's uh, like really well balanced. So uh, Esau says, he said to Jacob, oh, I'm so sorry. I missed stuff. But Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Verse 28. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. So the parents have their favorites. 29. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field exhausted. He said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stuff, because I'm exhausted. That is why he was also named Edom. Remember Edom means red. Thirty-one. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Few few ways to interpret this. One, you could say, Well, Jacob is prophesied, he's gonna be kind of wily, a scoundrel, a trickster, and he's really serious about this. He's like, I um yeah. Uh, sell me your birthright, or I'm not giving you in this, any of this food. I'm not gonna, you know, relieve your pain. And it just seems like a jerk move to make. That's not how you should treat your brother. In Christianity, that's not how you should treat your brother. But that is what he what he does. The second way to put this would be sort of like a joke. Yeah, I'll sell me your birthright, and I'll give you some of this, huh? Huh? And maybe Esau takes it seriously because he's dumb as a sack of bricks. I don't know either way probably lean towards that first interpretation that Jacob is totally serious about this and knows he can get it from his brother. So Esau says, 32, look, said Esau, I'm about to die. So what good is a birthright to me? Now it doesn't mean he's literally about to die. It mainly means like, well, after I'm dead, what's it worth? So Esau is not really looking forward. He's sort of looking about, um, what can I get now? I'd rather trade this now than, then imagine what I I will get if I hold on to it. This says a lot about delayed gratification, which for me is like one of the biggest issues with modern society is hardly anyone has delayed gratification. They impulse buy, they don't save, they... Uh, and obviously this is a generalization but I butt up against it a lot more it's not saying everyone does but some characteristics of someone who doesn't understand delay gratification it'd be like if you offered someone $5,000 now or if they wait two years you can give them $10,000 and they take the $5,000 without understanding that that's like 100% if they waited two years they're going to make 100% on that money and like there's hardly any other investment that you're going to make that amount on so It'd be smarter to wait. In a lot of ways, it's the same with like your, people's careers, like putting in the in the work, the seventy-hour, hundred-hour weeks now. So when you're in your forties, you're working twenty-five-hour weeks. So that's more of a rant on my part. But Esau is that kind of person. That's what I'm getting at. He's not looking towards the future. He's just he just wants the meal now. Give it to me now. Um, this thing's not worth anything to me. When it totally is if he would just wait it hasn't hasn't matured his investment hasn't matured yet cuz his father's still alive um, verse 33 jacob said swear to me first so he swore to jacob and sold his birthright to him then jacob gave bread and lentil stew stew to esau he ate drank got up and went away so esau despised his birthright which is true you don't just like give something up like that if you don't despise it Um, now I wanted to flip us over to Hebrews because Hebrews talks about this. Actually, you're going to find later on, um, talking God saying, you know, Jacob, I've loved, but Esau, I've hated. And we're going to cross the bridge when we come to it and talk more about that when we get to it. But let's go. Ahead, flip over to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter twelve, verse sixteen through eighteen. I'm just going to read. And once again, we don't know who wrote the book Hebrews. There's lots of opinions about it. I think, you know, Peter's um, mission was to reach Gentiles. So I'm sorry, Jews. So it could have been Peter. Paul had a mission to reach Gentiles. Could have been Paul. Could have been a lot of the other New Testament apostles. I sort of lean towards Paul because of how highly educated the writer of Hebrews is. And so sometimes I'll say Paul, and it's a slip of the tongue, but really we don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews. Hebrews 12, verse 16 through 18 says, And make sure that there isn't any immoral or reverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for one meal. For you know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance, though he sought it with tears. So Hebrews is basically calling Esau immoral and irreverent. I I understand that irreverent. I think we might find out that he's immoral, but absolutely like irreverent. He's not giving his birthright due reverence and selling it for a meal, which is just it's stupid. It's just like it's so foolish. Um so that's the end of this chapter. Like I said, we're going to talk a little bit more about God's disposition towards these two people and what that means theologically, whenever we come to that verse I was speaking about earlier. Let me see if I can find that verse, because I told you I would do that. Um, Let's see. Jacob, have I loved, but Esau, I've hated. Romans 9, Malachi. Malachi 1. Okay. Malachi 1, verse 2 wasn't Esau Jacob's brother declares the Lord I loved Esau but Esau I'm sorry I loved Jacob but Esau I hated I turned his mountains into wastelands and left his inheritance to the jackals in the desert um and then again this is in quoted in Romans oh chapter 9 oh my gosh when we get to Romans chapter 9 uh I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of people sort of flip out. It's one of the most difficult chapters in the New Testament to digest and interpret. It actually like literally sent my wife into sort of a nihilistic depression for a good two weeks after she read it. And I even I even tried to explain it to her and in, in, in how it makes sense to me, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it too. But yeah, Romans 9 references it too. That would be Paul writing, just as it's written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now he's quoting that Malachi verse that I just mentioned. In any case, we'll talk about that when we get to Malachi, and we'll talk about it again when we get to Romans chapter 9.